The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. You're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, folks, welcome back. Welcome back. As usual, a very heady segment with our guest, Basil Valentine, one of the best uh, in the business. Our Basil, great to have him with us. Really important to hear his viewpoints, especially on what's unfolding in Gaza and the Middle East. We talked about the potential uh, hostage swap agreement that might be accompanied with a three-day uh, truce. Was it previously talking about a five-day truce? Looks like they whittled it down to three. What does that mean in terms of Israeli military operation? Probably they're just going to resume targeting uh, civilians. They're done with, uh, almost done flattening northern Gaza, and they've managed to push out most of the population of 1.1 million, and now they're going to start working on southern Gaza, because that's part of a wider agenda. We'll talk about that wider agenda, the ethnic cleansing agenda, that's actual Israel policy. We'll talk about that with our next guest, Sam Parker. Looking forward to connecting Sam in just a few minutes. But let's uh, go back to a couple of things. One of them is you know, this should be the number one story across every Western media outlet. What is it? It's the systematic targeting of healthcare facilities uh, right across the Gaza Strip. This is what Israel has been doing. All of these distractions and media trial balloons on Hamas's secret bases under Al Shifa Hospital and all the rest of this. The the main reason for all of these sort of uh, propaganda distractions by the Israelis and the U.S. media um, is to distract from the fact that they're systematically targeting and destroying the healthcare system in Gaza on every single level. That's a war crime on every single level, according to Geneva Conventions and every other major uh, treaty or agreement or uh, convention that's been opted into by the so-called civilized West. Um, those are crimes against humanity, full stop. And they're doing it. They're doing it. So here is a British surgeon. His name is Ghassan Abusit. And he's uh, he's saying, no doubt the destruction of the healthcare system in Gaza is deliberate strategy by Israel. I'm just saying, this is Al Jazeera report. We're going to play this audio here. But this should be... This should be at the front and lead the lead story for every Western ma- mainstream media outlet. Why it's not is just beyond me. Anyway, we're going to play this clip here. I think it's important that people hear this this testimony here. Uh, as usual, very good reporting by Al Jazeera. We'll go ahead and listen to this clip as we get it uh, queued up here in a moment. Different than all of the other wars I've been um, at, not just in Gaza, but around the region in Yemen and Iraq and Syria is the way that the destruction of the health system has been the main thrust of the military strategy. That when I left the Ahli hospital on that morning, we ran out of uh, anesthetic medication. We basically left, we closed the last remaining hospital in the whole of the northern part of the Gaza Strip. 800,000 people now have no access to uh, uh, um, health care um, and the wounded in those areas are only being bandaged up the best that they could be uh, and their, the wounds are not treated. We had over 500 wounded in the grounds of Al Ahli Hospital when we ran out of medication and those patients and I believe 
And I honestly, truly believe that this is part of that military strategy. Uh, those patients are going to die, those wounded, uh, unless they receive adequate medical treatment, will eventually succumb to their wounds. That will eventually become infected um, and septic and overwhelm the patient. Um, and that, for me, was the most heart-wrenching part of my experience, is that knowing that all of these wounded people that I had seen and I had treated and I, whose treatment I had started are now being left to die. Anybody who was lucky enough to survive the initial assault, the uh, um, Israeli uh, strategy was to destroy the health system so that they would not survive the wounds that they have. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, this is just beyond. This is just beyond the pale. It's, it is a systematic strategy, that's been proven. Okay, that's been proven, and from from the Israeli point of view, they probably thought this was a benefit because it would uh, prevent Palestinian militants from being able to get medical treatment for after fighting. They probably thought, well, that's a plus. Uh, there's also the fact that some of the hostages taken by the Palestinian resistance on October 7th are in these hospitals. So why would Israel want to target the very hospitals that have Israelis getting medical care or being kept there or helped or whatever by their captors uh, in, in Gaza? Okay, why? Is that the Hannibal Directive? Is that the, That's the actual Israeli policy. It's called the Hannibal Directive. And that's why the IDF uh, will opt to kill hostages, Israeli hostages, uh, rather than negotiate for the release because they don't want to pay any heavy political price. So if they deem them to be low-value hostages, in other words, like, you know, students at a rave, okay, they won't, they, they won't think twice about killing them, killing their own, okay? That's not me saying that. That's from the Israeli document. Their, their doctrine called the Hannibal Directive, okay, which is known, it's published, okay. So that's a strategy by the idea. Is, it, is this why they're targeting hospitals? Because there's some high-value hostages that they do not want to uh, be allowed to be set free because they might have information or they might tell the press how well they've been treated, how respectful they've been treated by their Palestinian captors, by, quote, Hamas, who we're told is like, the second coming of ISIS, only they're not. Is this why Israel is targeting healthcare facilities, or is it merely to make life unlivable in the Gaza Strip, make life so unbearable, so unlivable, they, they, they literally cannot stay there. They literally cannot stay in Gaza. They'll be begging to flee to Jordan or Egypt or wherever. Okay, Is that the plan? Is that the plan, to strangle and suffocate the native Palestinian population so much so they have no choice but to flee, flee for their lives? Is that is that what's going on? Because it certainly looks like it. It certainly looks like it. 18 to 20 hospitals, 35, 40 primary care facilities serving all these neighborhoods, 2.5 million people. Of different sizes, talking about you know small GP clinics and medium-sized medical clinics, and then of course hospitals. Israel has sought to destroy every single one of these. 
This is barbaric. This is in the extreme barbaric. And the international community, and I see analysts trying to rationalize this, saying, well, if the, these are legitimate targets. Hospitals and schools are legitimate targets because Israel says they have intelligence that said Hamas is hiding there. Or this, uh, these knuckle-draggers from the IDF, I don't know what to call these guys. There's one in particular. He does the videos, the propaganda videos. He's like the spokesperson for the IDF, literally shows up in Al-Shifa Hospital and then, and, and then goes around the MRI machine in the MRI scanning room, and there's a duffel bag with, like, guns and grenades in it or something, and he is sitting there on a chair behind an MR, behind the MRI machine. You don't want to put grenades behind an MRI machine with those powerful magnets. You just don't. Um, why would the IDF do that? Is it because they're really stupid or... It's really bizarre. They, it, it's, it was pretty clear from the video that they were just kind of planting things or pointing at things and then saying this is evidence that Hamas was, was there. It was so badly done. Everybody's been lampooning it for like a week. It's so bad. The Israeli propaganda is literally that bad. And all of this to justify the destruction, the targeting. They shot at nurses and doctors. There's patients in there. People died in the hospital as a result of Israel surrounding it and raiding the hospital, looking for evidence that wasn't there. Oh, what, what about this great intelligence that the uh, Shin Bet and the Mossad have? What, 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 what intelligence? It seems like the U.S., as good as the U.S. intelligence of weapons of mass destruction, our great intelligence apparatus that sucks hundreds of billions of year uh, per year, uh, uh, dollars per year out of the U.S. public coffers, like that intelligence apparatus, like the one we have in America, very effective, uh, all-knowing and all-seeing. The only thing that seems like these intelligence services are any good at is spying on their own people. That seems like that's what they're really good at. It's like the only thing they excel at these days. So clearly, their intelligence, either lying, they knew there was nothing there, it was totally bogus, and they're really just executing a pogrom against the population. That's the actual answer, of course. I'm just going through all the options so we can exhaust it by process of elimination, deductive reasoning, okay, just to be fair. But that's the agenda. The agenda, it's, it's a bigger agenda. How big, how big is the agenda? We'll talk about that after the break with our next guest, Sam Parker, on the other side. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. You're listening to TNT, Today's News Talk. We'll be right back. You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? 
it's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. I, I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say, Charlie, it feels normal, but it ain't normal. <laughs> the world yeah. is not normal. It's complete gone off kilter. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk A hoax about carbon dioxide in the climate has caused a global energy and economic disaster. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT Today's News Talk. We're in the second hour of this live broadcast. Thank you guys for joining us on this amazing Tuesday. And we're going to go back to the situation in the Middle East. We've got some interesting stories and also some interesting angles to explore here. I want to welcome onto the program our next guest. Uh, he's a former candidate for U.S. Senate uh, in Utah. His name is Sam Parker. Um, he's also got a very good account on X Twitter that a lot of people are beginning to notice now uh, because of some of the information he's been putting out, the research he's been doing on the situation in Gaza, on the crisis, has been a real a guiding light for so many different people right now on that platform and beyond. And we have him, fortunately, we have him on the line now to talk about some very important issues. But firstly, I want to welcome Sam Parker to the program. Sam, how are you? I'm doing great this morning. Thanks a lot for having me on, Patrick. It's a pleasure. And it's, a, it's our pleasure, Sam. And just for our listeners who aren't familiar with you uh, and what you do, um, yeah. just in introduce yourself and a little bit about your background and, and what your interest is in this particular story. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a, an America first. Uh, I guess the best way to put it is I'm sort of an America first nationalist is, is what it amounts to. I started out, of course, my political career as a conservative. I've been a conservative all my life, been a Republican, registered Republican. As you know, as you said, I ran for uh, the U.S. Senate against Mitt Romney in 2018 uh, because I'm not a fan of his politics and his policies and his style. And and I didn't think he was right for Utah or right for the United States. So I decided to jump in and, and do what I could to affect that election. And I think I did, you know, early on help affect the course of that election. And U Utah electoral politics is a little different than most other states. We have something called the caucus process, a caucus system. No other state has it. Basically, uh, the state's divided up into several neighborhoods or caucuses, caucus districts, and uh, we go there and and we, we campaign and get in front of the people. And so you don't need a lot of money to get ballot access. And then from there, you go to a state party nominating convention. And uh, Mitt Romney did not win the state uh, nominating convention. He came in second place. And uh, I like to think that I had a little bit of something to do with that. Took a few votes away from him, helped steer things towards another guy and and uh, ultimately got my voice heard and got some of our uh, some of our issues raised. So that's a little bit about my political background. Professionally, I've, I've worked in banking and biotech uh, for several years. And uh, that's that that kept me busy for a while. But now, you know, 
uh, one of the, my, the principal thing I'm doing is trying to be an advocate for America first policies. And, uh, and that includes right now, uh, pro-Palestinian policies because our, inter our interests align, uh, to a great extent right now, we're both battling the same entity, you know, America first, uh, uh, the America first movement, you know, we want to put America first and we can't do that. Or we've been having trouble doing that, uh, because of the Zionist, uh, you know, infiltration of our government, the Zionist control over our institutions and, uh, the Palestinians are battling those, those same Zionist forces. So we have common cause. And so I've been hitting it pretty hard, uh, since this latest, uh, escalation in the conflict erupted, you know, over a, about a month and a half ago now. And, uh, I, you know, I've, I've learned a lot as I think your listeners have learned a lot and we've all learned a lot and really advanced our understanding of these issues. And it's so every day I'm sort of in the trenches trying to understand things better, try to figure out, you know, what messaging, uh, works and, you know, what, um, what force we can apply using our united voices to try to de-escalate this conflict and save lives ultimately. Yeah. We'll talk about that. I mean, the, the whole thing about member four and foreign influence that was the, the the big sort of decry from 2016 the russians were uh right. influencing and got donald trump elected and it was all, all about foreign meddling election interference and all this and we have a perfect example of actual actual foreign interference foreign meddling foreign control in some cases over u.s policy but nobody wants to talk about that it's kind of an omerta isn't there in the u.s media yes. and in polite society in washington we mustn't talk about this uh foreign influence because this is a very lucrative source of it is campaign finance isn't it for america's talk briefly about that but we'll go back to the issue at hand in a moment which is gaza but go ahead sure yeah so you have people like anthony blinken who's the secretary of state who seems to be running our foreign policy, maybe even in some cases, the presidency itself, you know, there's that famous image now from a few weeks ago of Anthony Blinken peering over the back shoulder of Joe Biden on air force one. And it, it was just sort of a really symbolic of what seems to be going on in the Biden administration. There seems to be a high degree of this foreign influence, as you call it, APAC or, uh, is probably one of the more notable, the, uh, influence operations, the American Israel uh, Political Action Committee, they boost and fund uh, many of our federal candidates, if not, I mean, almost all of them, not all of them, of course, but most of them. And they are sort of the tip of the spear of the Israel lobby overall, which is a massive lobbying operation in Washington, D.C. And, and by, you know, when this oh, conflict yeah. broke out, Anthony Blinken went, you know, he flew out there to Israel and said, I come as a fellow Jew. And it would be hard to see how our, you know, if if an actual Israeli uh, or a Zionist from Benjamin Netanyahu's cabinet were running, were, you know, in the position that Anthony Blinken's in, how would the re the reaction and our policies in the United States approach be any different? It's completely in our foreign policy and what we're doing is almost completely indistinguishable from Israel's foreign policy and what Israel's goals are. You can't you can't detect a difference. And then you have people like. Uh, Secretary Mayorkas, who's keeping our southern border wide open, uh, 250,000, 300,000 uh, illegals every month are pouring across the United States southern border. So this is a real issue. This is a problem. And there, there are several, you know, we have Janet Yellen, again, who seems to be politically aligned uh, with these same forces. So it's a real issue. And, you know, we have to talk about it because if we can't, if we don't talk about it, then it will remain hidden. And they'll, you know, the, the influence operation uh, will continue to uh, to go forth. 
Yeah, I, see, I, de I definitely see your argument there that uh, if 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 you are truly America first, then you want American policies to be for the United States and for the benefit of the United States and not necessarily for the benefit of a of a foreign actor. Uh, and right. so it seems like the, the the tail is wagging the dog. And I think it has been for a very long time. And this was also exposed in John Mearsheimer and Stephen Walt's book uh, about the Israeli lobby, which is seen as the right. seminal text um the, one of their first foundational texts that really well documented this uh situation in washington but back to the gaza situation now you you talked about your sort of uh, you know awakening if you will on this issue and you've like many people have um you know rapidly red pilled on so many different aspects of this to the point where your research now is being used by other people who have been even on this issue for like decades they're actually pointing to your research on social media. So you've kind of taken a lead role in kind of getting the message out and informing people here. And there's a few issues I want to talk about specifically, which you've sure. uh, uncovered in your research. But um, it, it is a very complex issue. As So sp speak about the totality of this issue, because with when you talk about Israel and Palestine, the occupied territories, the one-state solution, the two-state solution, all of these different nuances and idiosyncrasies in this, it is really deep and multi-layered. So how do you approach this? Because this is a big problem that a lot of people are uh, facing and it, it's almost intimidating for people to dive headfirst in because there's so much there. How, how are you dealing with this? All the different legacy issues plus the information versus what's happening today. Just explain your kind of methodology. Yeah, that's a good question. Very expansive, of course. But I, I guess where I start with is number one: most Americans are just completely unaware of what's actually going on over there right now and even more unaware of what's been going on there for several decades. They sort of have, most Americans, I think, sort of have a, a very superficial, tangential, almost a bare awareness that, oh, there's fighting over there between Palestine and, and Israel. And, and Palestine, that's where the Muslim terrorists are, right? And they like suicide bomb Israel and and Israel, you know, who can blame them for, you know, fighting back? and. I, I, th I think that's kind of the general narrative that like probably 95% of, of, of Americans have. It's just sort of this very superficial, very tangent, tangential relationship with the truth and what's actually been happening over there for decades since 19, you know, we can say 1948, it's been happening uh, earlier than that, but 1948 is when the Nakba happened and when Israel, uh, you know, won its independence, so to speak, and <clears throat> forcibly displaced three quarters of a million Palestinians off of their lands, out of their homes, uh, massacred thousands of them, destroyed 530 towns and villages. That's sort of, uh, that's a big tent pole in the ground, a big, a big stake, you know, uh, a point in history that we need to really understand. And I don't think most uh, Americans really understand that. And then of course, all the developments that have happened since then, all the wars that have happened since then, the different uh, accords, uh, and then, and then just the, the tit for tat that's been going back and forth, you know, every, you know, the narrative that Israel's trying to push right now is that everything started October 7th. And so that's the next thing that I try to go after. This didn't start October 7th, uh, Mr. And Mrs. Average America. It, this, this has been going on for a long time. Here's what, so uh, here's what Israel's been doing. So that's what, that's my approach is I want to raise awareness, the awareness levels of the average American and the average person around the globe who's, and, and I'm using Twitter because that's where my, that's where my biggest reach is, but I also use Instagram 
Instagram and Facebook and, and Gab and some of these other platforms. But that's been my approach. I want to raise awareness. I want to raise awareness to the plight of the Palestinians, uh, what the Zionists have been doing for years, what they're doing right now. So, so that's, it's sort of like a 360, like what light can I shine on the tyranny that's been happening and the injustices that have been perpetrated and then trying to show how this is affecting the American landscape and, and our involvement. So from a political perspective, I think it's very important to demonstrate that, look, this is what the Zionists are doing and have been doing for decades over there. Look how America has been supporting that and then see how the connection between those Zionists over there are influencing our government here in other ways. Right. So so I'm just trying to raise awareness. I'm trying to shine a light on all these various aspects of the conflict, but also trying to show the lines, the direct lines and parallels between what's happening over there and how it's affecting life here in America and our own government and our own politics. So anything in that world, like whatever it is, you know, boom, shine a light on it. Boom, shine a light on it. Raise that awareness. And the other thing is, there seems to be a desire by Israel to draw the United States into a, a potential military confrontation with Iran. I'm sure, Sam, in part of your research, you maybe keep an eye on Fox News to see what talking points they're pushing. I do, um, although it's hardly watchable in the last six weeks. It's hard. It's hard. But but that seems to be front and center, isn't it? Like that that particular issue, they want to bring the United States into confrontation with Iran. That seems to yeah, be and this has been an issue Go for ahead. a long time. Everybody knows about the five countries or the seven countries in five years uh, from you know uh, from nine eleven the nine eleven years, and General Wesley Clark exposed that. You know how there was this memo circulated that they wanted to topple seven countries in five years, and Iran was one of them. They've been saber rattling and agitating to go to war with Iran for a long time now, and you know, and so it does look like. That perhaps, you know, obviously, you know, Israel would love for the United States to go to war against Iran and really rid Israel of that menace uh, and that that adversary relationship they have on uh, over there. And you and so you see that it's 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 clear that they want conflict with Iran. They want to diminish them. And, you know, so that's a, a, that's a great example of another, you know, America first policy that we're really going hard after is we don't want war with Iran. We don't want a major conflict with Iran that could that could easily escalate into something larger. But even if it doesn't escalate into something larger, you're talking about a lot of American blood and treasure once again, going to battle uh, somebody that, you know, we you know, why aren't we why don't we do business with them? Let's do business with them and form a good relationship, have a good friendly relationship that's uh that economically uh benefits the United States and benefits us in terms of national security as well like why you know why do we want to make an enemy out of this uh this large country that's got you know a modern arsenal modern weapon system they're allied with China and Russia you know why do why do we want to create a, a a massive conflict with them let's let's become allies or at least uh at least you know peaceful prosperous trading partners at at the very least so that's an america first position we don't we don't want war with iran we don't want more american blood and treasure being spilled and we certainly don't want more uh, another big war large war that's going to displace hundreds of thousands or millions of middle easterners that are then going to be transported into europe or into the united states through our poorest borders furthering you know uh, the the some say white genocide that's happening or the you know the 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 demographic replacement of these nations or flooding them with non-native peoples and look it's not out of a, a a place of hate 
I want those people to stay there in their countries, in their homes, and be prosperous and fully realize their potential too. And so I don't think it's in anybody's interest to have another large-scale conflict in Iran, except for maybe Israel, right? It's in Israel's interest, and that's that's the problem. Israel's interests seem to be superseding everybody else's interests. And that's and we've got to stop that. And so, yeah, part of our messaging is whatever we can shine a light on and push back and resist the temptation to get involved with Iran in a larger scale conflict. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think the immigration issue, uh, you know, that's a separate, that, to me, that's a, a separate issue. I think that's largely, a lot of that's driven by Democratic Party policies, open border policies to want to change Texas into a blue state, as an example. Absolutely. Uh, and, t- and turn Arizona into a Democratic state as well, and Nevada and so and so forth every so, state I mean, that they can frankly it's you know right yeah. <laughs> Eventually. so yeah the the the, whole, the great replacement um uh argument there i mean the, the democrats actually have their own version of the great replacement which is to replace the voters um so that which is ironic because they they're on record saying that multiple times leading democrats over the years that that's actually what they want to do and that's yeah. probably behind a lot of Senator uh, Secretary uh, Alejandro Mayorkas's uh, decisions to uphold the open border policy in Texas as well. So you know, it, it, yeah, I mean, it's I don't want to get too much into. You want to derail your? You didn't want to derail your discussion here. Yeah, because yeah, the potential there is I will I I you know I I will be pulled up on that at some point. Um, but anyway, we get back to the Gaza situation. Okay, now uh, now let's talk about ethnic cleansing. Okay, yeah. so um, obviously this is something that would not be acceptable anywhere in the world, uh, not definitely not in the United States uh, under our plur- plural system, under our constitutional republic, uh, the modern U.S. Uh, okay, we can talk about pioneer settler days or whatever. I'm talking about 21st century uh, ethnic cleansing and genocide completely out of bounds for the U.S., Canada, Europe, the West. Okay, but yeah, it's not it's, out of it's- it's yeah. it's more on a, on a moral level uh you know America is still mostly a Christian nation and on and on a moral basis we should uh, vehemently oppose any sort of ethnic cleansing it's a gross crime against humanity and so on a moral basis we 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 can oppose it on a strictly moral basis that's it's it's a massacre it's a war crime it's 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 it, the, it has no place in 21st century humanity force the forcible displacement of two and a half million people it just on a moral basis alone it has no place it has no place in in our in our moral paradigm in our moral universe there are better ways there's better solutions well one of yeah. them would be uh, uh equal rights in the middle east for palestinians if they to make a state where whoever wants to live there equally can stay whoever doesn't like it can go uh and sure many would leave so but in your research this is what one of the main things i want to talk about sam is yeah. uh the, the documents that were leaked okay if you can walk us through some of these revelations because there is actual plans uh, at the Israeli government level, at the policy level for ethnic cleansing. And some of this has been uh, illustrated in documents. You've posted these. Can you just walk us through that? Because I think this is really an important detail. Yeah. So one of the refrains that we've been hearing consistently since day one of this conflict is Israel has the right to defend itself or Israel has a right to self-defense. And that is being uh, repeated and boosted and amplified millions of times every day every day since then. Israel has a right to self-defense. But when you look at what's actually going on and just scratch beneath the surface just ever so slightly, 
you see that there's actually something else going on, that it's not really self-defense what Israel is undertaking. And we can see this if we look at the timeline and we look at the developments from, from October 7th till now, we can see that there's something else that's been going on, something else that Israel has been pursuing, and they've been using the cover uh, of this mantra, Israel has a right to defend itself, to give themselves cover for the implementation of their real plan. And what is that real plan? Well, it's the ethnic cleansing of Gaza. It is the displacement of two and a half million Gazans out of the Gaza Strip and the total seizure and occupation of the Gaza Strip by Israel. They have wanted this for a long time. It's been a, a stated uh, policy for decades uh, that I think every Israeli prime minister in some fashion has spoken of that eventually all of that land uh, from the Euphrates to the Nile will be Israel territory. And so you have this, this goal and that's what it looks like they're doing. And now here's the evidence. And this is what you're talking about. And so this, this conflict erupted on October 7th, allegedly, and nearly immediately Israel started a massive bombing campaign of Gaza. And on day two or day three of this uh, bombing campaign, the atrocity propaganda started being rolled out by all the the leading pro-Israel propaganda voices, the mass rapes, the 40 beheaded babies, the burned babies, the piles of burned bodies. It, that started that started coming out on like day two of this conflict. Now, if Israel was just acting in self-defense, you wouldn't need to lay on the layers of this extra egregious atrocity propaganda, which has been debunked several times over. You know, you and I have been in groups, we've debunked this many times over. It's enough to say, look, Hamas Hamas came through the wall. They attacked us in our, uh, in our kibbutzim. They attacked uh, Israeli citizens and, and we need to retaliate. We need to defend ourselves. That's plenty of pretext right there. But they went further. They added on these layers of egregious atrocity propaganda to really whip up support for a massive, massive bombing campaign followed by a comprehensive ground incursion. And 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 on top of that, they turned off the water, they turned off the food, they turned off the electricity, and they're starving. And 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 basically, uh, they've they've got this two and a half million Gazans fenced in. They're starving them. They're collectively punishing them, which is a it's a crime against humanity. It's a war crime. It's against international law. And so you, you know, reasonable people were starting to suspect well, this, this this doesn't look like self defense. This looks like this looks like something more. Well. So that was October 7th when that happened. The atrocity propaganda starts getting rolled out right around October 8th, October 9th, and the massive bombing campaign started right away. On October 12th, Danny Ayalon, the deputy, uh, former deputy foreign minister of Israel, got on uh, international TV with Mark Lamont Hill on Al Jazeera and talked about opening a humanitarian corridor into Egypt to, to move all the Gazans in a humane way, in a safe way, to get them out of harm's way, to get them to safety. But all of the Gazans need to move through this humanitarian corridor. Uh, and he said the words, this has been thought out. This has been planned. It's been thought out, you see. And this was October 12th, five days in, allegedly, to this conflict. He, said, he admitted that it had already been thought out, that they want this humanitarian corridor, and they want to move everybody into Egypt. Now, Secretly, unbeknownst to the rest of the world, on October 13th, the day after that interview, 
a a set of documents was being circulated inside uh, the Ministry of Intelligence for Israel that was that talked about this plan, to, that talked about forcibly moving the Gazans into the Sinai Desert. Uh, under the guise of a humanitarian operation, a humanitarian corridor. This document also called for a massive bombing campaign to help spur that along. So that was so that was October 13th, but that was unbeknownst to the rest of us. Now, remember, just the day before, Danny Ayalon was on TV repeating these talking points, okay? And we didn't know that in the meantime, there were all, also these secret documents being circulated. Uh, but he admitted that this had been thought out. See, so it had been planned. So we know that this, this wasn't a spontaneous idea that uh, that arose all of a sudden on October 12th, right? Well, it turns out that there's something called the Greater Gaza Plan that Israel has actually had a plan for for since at least 2007, when George W. H. W. or excuse me, George W. Bush was the president of the United States. They had this the plan then. It was called the Greater Gaza Plan in Egypt, and the plan was to relocate, to forcibly relocate all of Gazans into the Sinai Desert of Egypt. Now, Egypt at the time said, no, we're not going to do it. Uh, again, they tried to do it, I think, in 2012 or 2014. Uh, uh, they tried to pressure Egypt to do it again, and Egypt wouldn't do it. And then these documents were leaked in 2014. This Greater Gaza Plan in Egypt was 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 leaked in 2014. And so it's kind of been out there, but it was sort of under the surface, and most people had forgotten or most people hadn't even noticed it. So uh, so that was brought up again on October 27th. Jason Cook in UK Declassified brought it back up again. He said, hey, it looks like, you know, the, the massive casualties were mounting. The bombing campaign was ramping up. The ground incursion was uh, starting to, uh, you know, uh, become a reality. And he said, you know, this doesn't look like self-defense. This looks like they're implementing the greater, greater Gaza plan of Egypt. And so I saw that. I picked up on that. I boosted that out there and, and we went viral on October 27th. Then on October 29th, these intelligence documents from October 13th were leaked and uh, they exploded on Twitter. And that was October 29th. And so now, you know, the cat's out of the bag, right? You know, that the, uh, this wasn't some humanitarian operation due to our bombing campaign. Rather, they were using the bombing campaign to create the humanitarian crisis so that they could implement their plan to drive uh, the Gazans out into the Sinai Desert. So that was October 29th when these documents leaked. Now, fast forward to, uh, let's see, November 10th, and you have the uh, Minister of of Urban, or excuse me, Rural, of Agriculture and Rural Development, Avi Dichter, got on Israel uh, National uh, Israeli TV. Uh, this was again on November 10th, and he explicitly called this the Nakba of Gaza. So he acknowledged that this was not a self-defense operation, but rather an ethnic cleansing operation. That was November 10th. On November 13th, you had Ram Ben Barak, former head of the Mossad, and Danny Dannon, chair of the Likud party, put an op-ed out in the Wall Street Journal to the world calling for the world to take in the Gazan refugees, right? And then on November 19th, just two days ago, I remember two, three days ago now, you had the head or the minister of, of uh, intelligence for Israel, Gila Gamliel, uh, write an op-ed in the Jerusalem Post calling again for uh, the displacement of Gazans out into the Sinai Desert. And she advocated that the world community should not only pay for that, but also bring uh, these Gazan refugees into our nations, into our countries, and we should be footing the bill. So basically, uh, you have all of these forces lining up now where everybody, significant people, uh, cabinet members, Mossad members, you know, 
calling, you know, explicitly saying now that this is what they want to do. And it and we go all the way back to October 12th when da uh, when uh, Danny Ailon let the cat out of the bag that this had been thought out that we want to open a humanitarian corridor to get the Gazans out of harm's way into the Sinai Desert. And we know now from these leaked documents that that's been the plan all along. And you know, you know, Patrick, documents and uh, this set of documents and these plans don't don't erupt overnight. They don't. They're not written down and circulated and gain approval in a you know in a government department overnight. This takes this takes time. It takes longer than a day. It takes longer than five days. And so, for the people who have suspected that there's something fishy about October seventh, I believe we have all the smoking gun evidence we need. That uh, you know, did Israel help plan this? Was it a false flag? Did they allow this to happen? Uh, it certainly seems like there's something afoot. We know it's been confirmed now that Hamas had no idea about the rave that had been moved uh, to that location just two days prior to the, you know, just on October 5th. It was unexpectedly at the last minute, this this international festival was moved to Hamas's landing zone. So it certainly hey, seems. Let me, add, let me add something to that. Not only yeah. that, there was a last minute uh, license application to extend the festival an extra day. It was wow. supposed to wrap up. No, so Max Blumenthal said that on Suleiman's uh, Suleiman uh, Unsilenced program, uh, which was on Rumble yesterday. So I, I I wasn't aware of that, and apparently that was in the gray zone. So that's another fact, just to add to what you said, Sam. Go ahead. Right. So these these pieces are starting to add up, and and everybody knows about the six the six hour stand down where the IDF did nothing and and let Hamas just you know run run roughshod. And then we also know that Israeli forces fired on their own. The, we know it's been confirmed now that the Apache helicopters and the IDF tanks on October 7th fired on their own houses, fired on cars, fired on civilians. And they're responsible for hundreds, uh, perhaps the majority of the Israeli casualties, uh, certainly a large portion of the Israeli casualties on October 7th, are the direct result of, of uh, Israel firing on its own people. So you, you start to put these things together, but I think we have a smoking gun when Danny Ayalon on October 12th said this had been this has been thought out. And remember, these documents that from October 13th explicitly called for a humanitarian corridor and a massive bombing campaign. And that's exactly what Israel started day one. Their reaction was the massive bombing campaign, and they came right out of the gate talking about a humanitarian corridor. So I believe we have a smoking gun. I believe this has the this been the plan from day one. I believe that they let this happen at the very least uh, so that they would have the pretext to finally execute this plan that they've had sitting on the table for, for years now, for decades, to finally rid themselves of the Gazan problem once and for all. But it goes further because uh, because it's really just the first plank in a step to then uh, continue forcing the West Bank to take over the West Bank and eventually force those people out into the Jordan. So and And then leaving all of the land for Israel, which is the stated policy of the Likud party. The Likud party platform, first stated in 1977, is from the river to the sea, uh, there will be nothing but Israeli sovereignty. And it explicitly says that there can be no Palestinian state, that it's uh, that the land is for the Jewish people. And, and so we see that this has been the long game they've been playing for a long time, and they're using this moment right now to go for it. 
Yes, yes. And and I think we can say, you know, even if you can't prove um, whether Israel let it happen on right. October 7th or worse, that they were involved um, in, you know, intentionally uh, killing their own people, even if that that can't be proven now, you can still prove that there is a uh, agenda that was packed and ready to go, uh, a long term agenda, in fact, that's right, of ethnic cleansing and using bombing to push people out. So that right. is proof that is provable, correct? Yeah, it's on record. That's that's the plan. So whether yeah, exactly. So whether whatever you believe about October 7th is is sort of immaterial at this point. We knew that they had this plan on the table and now they're executing that plan. Yeah, that's really and we important. We have to, to we have just, to try and yeah. do everything we can to stop it because it's number one it's morally wrong. From a moral standpoint it's morally wrong. And it's a war crime. It's a crime against humanity. But you know, for me, for somebody who's America first, or if you're a European nationalist, you know, or if you're what you know somebody in the West who's a nationalist, and you you want to preserve the sovereignty of your country, listen, you know, we want these people to be able to stay in their countries. We don't want them coming here. Uh, we want we want to be able to have self determination for ourselves, and we want them to be able to have self determination for themselves. And so, from an America first standpoint. You know, that's that's another reason why we oppose this, because the plan explicitly stated again in The Wall Street Journal and others is uh, for the Western nations to take these people in. And that's that's just unacceptable. That's unacceptable to, to, to the Palestinians. It's unacceptable to the Western nations. Again, it's it's an Israel first policy. It's not an America first policy. It's not a Europe first policy. That's an Israel first policy. And it's definitely a Palestinian last policy. And so uh, we have to stick our foot down and fight against this. Yeah, and sadly, this has been an agenda with NATO as well, is using war and conflict in order to drive massive flows of immigration and refugees because of the actual actions taken by uh, the U.S. military, but NATO as well. Libya is a good example of this. Afghanistan's a good example of this. Yes. Iraq, Syria, uh, the list just goes on and on. Just keeps and on going. On. It keeps going, and at some point, you know, we have to. Somebody has to put their foot down on this. But uh, it's not an easy. This is not an easy uh, problem. That there is no easy solutions to this. It's very difficult. But I think being informed is certainly one of those solutions. Um, we're going to take a break here. I don't know if you want to stay with us for the final yeah, couple of minutes. We'll take a quick break here with TNT. I'm with Sam Parker from Utah in the United States. We'll talk about a few things on the other side, including the danger of a false flag. I want to talk to Sam about some possibilities there. Uh, you're listening to TNT, today's news talk. We'll be right back. The climate agenda is a national security risk. Where do you hear this? From Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. The climate and energy policies of California are threatening the security of residents. California has increased crude oil imports from foreign countries from 5% just 25 years ago to more than 75% today. According to Heartland analyst Ronald Stein, California is the only state in the United States that imports most of its crude oil feedstock to instant state refineries from foreign countries. California needs this oil for nine international airports and 41 military airports, as well as shipping ports up and down the coast. Meanwhile, Asia has 88 new oil refineries manufacturing fuel for California's airports and shipping terminals. It's time we recognize that the climate agenda is a national security threat. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. 
My character Shazam knows all about growing up in a family full of teenage superheroes. They're bold. Where's everyone going? To fight crime. Okay. Adventurous. Shazam! There's never a dull moment. And no matter what happens, they'll always have your back. All they need is a place to grow and be themselves. And the best part is, you don't have to be a superhero to adopt a teen. Learn more about adopting a teen from foster care. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Speaking on the issues that impact, this is The Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. All right, welcome back. Welcome back. We're in the final segment of the final hour of this live broadcast. I'm joined on the line by Sam Parker. He is a former U.S. Senate candidate from Utah. He's also independent researcher. He's doing some great work on the situation in Gaza. On the issue of false flags, um, Sam, which we kind of, it could be part of the conversation. Obviously, we're talking about hypothesis here. Um, but uh, Operation Gladio is uh, was a rogue CIA cell within NATO post-World War II. And what their strategy was, was to create a strategy of tension in Europe. And so they carried out terrorist, domestic terrorist attacks all over Europe, bombed the Bologna bombing in Italy is a good example of Gladio. All of this is declassified, is all proven. It's in the work of Daniel Ganser and others. And was they the even- Levon affair, was that, um, was that, part of that when they uh tried to uh, uh set up those bombings in in egypt of the embassy the american embassy and tried to wanted to blame it on the uh, uh the arabs it wasn't it was part related. of it but but it's it's the same method it's okay. the same method so they would even hire paramilitaries to go and shoot civilians and then eyewitness accounts would be that the terrorist group came when in fact it wasn't a terrorist group they're literally subcontracted by the CIA through various proxies, even sometimes hiring actual terrorists that were available for hire. So it's a fascinating story. So the, when we see videos of what happened on October 7th, we also have to bear in mind that until we do a full forensic investigation, if that ever gets done on the Israeli side properly, um, there could be other elements at play. We've also seen this in the United States. There have been uh, accusations of false flags and some high profile domestic terror events over the years. The FBI are involved. Other agencies are involved on a clandestine level. And so it becomes, it's a real murky gray area, if you will, Sam, but you'll recognize the revelation of the method. And that's the important part. So when this is one aspect of, I think that it's hard to tell just from random video releases from October 7th, I've seen uh, videos of of supposed Palestinian militants shooting people um, as well. These are posted. I've also seen uh, the, uh, the IDF footage of the aftermath of the IDF airstrikes against the kibbutzes and the festival. Clearly, Palestinians' resistance didn't have the weaponry to, to, to basically burn out hundreds of cars. I mean, that's right. a military operation. So there's a lot going on here, and that's really important. So I, I just wanted to bring that up as a food for thought. But um, your, your, your thoughts on this an issue and the possibility of... Um, also your thoughts on the possibility of a false flag pending. In other words, there could be another high profile event on a U.S. soil that could easily be done by rogue elements within agencies or even a foreign actor. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, you know, listen, it's obviously, it's obviously a danger. Uh, people are on the, on the lookout for it, right? Uh, people are talking about it. We know that there've been many false flags in history to your point. So we should be ready for it. We should be, you know, looking out but i'll tell you one of them there's a there's a motivating factor here that we haven't talked about 
And that is the, sh the demographic, uh, the shift in demographic opinions towards Israel in the United States. If you look at polling data and you look at trends online on the different social media platforms, the younger generations, specifically uh, millennials, but really especially Gen Z and, and earlier, uh, the support for Israel has absolutely cratered. It's running, you know, in the in the from the age eighteen to thirty four, the support for Israel is somewhere around twenty five percent, maybe lower now. It was a it was is about twenty seven percent on October twelfth, and we've seen just a horrific, horrific set of crimes against the Palestinians, and it's been exploding all over TikTok, Twitter, Instagram you know, these different social media platforms that the younger crowd are on. And so I, th I think we can safely say that the support for Israel is probably in the United States is probably below 25%. And in a leaked uh, recording uh, of Jonathan Greenblatt, who's the head of the ADL, uh, there uh, a couple of weeks ago, there's a recording leaked of, uh, of him just being completely apoplectic and having a meltdown. Uh, just they're beside themselves as to how the support of the American support for Israel is cratering amongst these younger generations. And they're quite concerned about it. And so like, what are they going to do about it? Uh, and we've seen that uh, uh, Israeli millionaires and billionaires have pledged, I, I forget his name, somebody pledged $50 million to fight the online propaganda campaign. And, uh, you know, rather than stop bombing hospitals, we're going to spend $50 million to just try to shift the propaganda narrative. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy when you think about it. But the point is, is like, what's going to be their strategy to win these younger generations back, this younger generation who all day, every day is watching babies get bombed and massacred en masse, right? Every day we see these videos circulating and the, and the young people, they don't watch TV. They don't watch Fox News. They don't watch CNN. You know, they are on TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram, and, and some, in some cases, Twitter and Facebook. And they're seeing the horrific uh, war crimes and atrocities perpetrated by Israel against these Palestinians, and they're not having it. I One statistic I saw was that the pro-Palestinian content on, on TikTok about a week and a half or two ago was 20 to 1 in favor of Palestine over Israel. 20 to 1, Patrick. And now that has got, and that's, that's why Jonathan Greenblatt, the head of the ADL is beside himself. You know, I mean, that is, that is, that is devastating for the future uh, uh, of American, you know, for the Israeli lobby in, in American politics, because these young people are not going to forget the horrific things they saw Israel do uh, against these Palestinians. And they're not going to forget that. So how do you win these people back? That, how do you win them back? That's the question. And so now we come back to the false flag event, because the way you one of the ways you win these people back is something bigger, something that can override what they've seen happening in in Gaza. Right. And that would be something bigger, something that can override what they've seen happening in in Gaza. Right. And that would be some sort of perhaps momentous terrorist attack or false flag uh, event you know, some sort of massacre or some 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 disaster on American soil or against Americans en masse that would be able to override uh, the horrors that they've seen Israel perpetrate on Gaza. Heaven forbid that that happens, Sam, but I think we need to be vigilant about all possibilities. We appreciate you coming on the program on TNT. Sam Parker from the United States. Thank you very much, Sam. Thanks, Patrick. Appreciate you having me on.
And a big thank you to our guest in the first hour, Basil Valentine. And a big thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in to this live broadcast. Top of the hour news headlines coming up. That's all we got time for. We'll see you at the same time, same place tomorrow with a powerful broadcast. Certainly, we have it all lined up for you. Stay on the network. Stay on TNT. Jesse Zorowell is next. Take care, you guys. All the best.